0: Last week, I kind of started this. I was talking about sound doctrine. If you guys got that through my Bible last week, it's not quite as bad today, but it's still pretty bad. And um, I was talking about the being of like mind and how that the sound doctrine in the church is vital, that we got to believe the same thing. We can't just have a hodgepodge of doctrine here. It's got to be down the same line. That's why whenever we have a membership, uh, people will come and join the church. They have to be in agreement with our doctrine. And I make sure they are. And I give them a statement of faith. They have to read it. They have to agree to it. Um, (coughs) But it doesn't mean they necessarily have to understand it all, you see, because nobody really does when they first start. But there's a difference between having a, a humble spirit and a proudful one, prideful one, When a person joins a church, that what they're saying is, I want to learn and I want to become what you guys are preaching here. I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that you see him in the scriptures. And I want to replicate that in my life. I think as long as a person's humble, everybody ends up at the same spot. Amen. It's pride. (laughs) Pride is evil. But anyways, verse number two, I'm gonna read verse number two and three. The apostle Paul once again mentioning these ladies' names. I beseech Eudius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee, also true yoked fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with, with the other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray you'd give me strength in my voice as I preach this message. And I pray we'd be able to get something from it, to take it home. And I pray, Lord, it would make our church stronger. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the key thought in these verses is the aspect of laboring together. Laboring together. It's so important that the church understands that we are here to do a work. And that work is the Great Commission. You'll find that in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It talks about teaching all nations the gospel, about baptizing the converts, and then teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so it's a three-pronged commission. Preach the gospel, baptize those that are saved, and then disciple them through the teaching and preaching of God's word. And so you are, in this room, should be in one of these categories. If you're lost, then you need to be saved. If you're saved and you haven't properly identified in believer's baptism, then that's what you need to do. You don't even need to pray about it. You just know by the scripture that's what you ought to do. And the third thing is, if you are saved and baptized, you ought to be a part of the discipleship of this church and say what program is that it's called the pulpit program it's called coming to church and learning see i know we want to have programs i'm not against programs but folks if you would come here three times a week and listen to every sermon that's preached behind this pulpit and do it you would probably have enough to do for the rest of your life you wouldn't need a bunch of other stuff (laughs) amen now, I'm not against other stuff. If you want me to be add to the load, I can do that, you know. But, folks, I know the way I preach and teach, there's a lot to take in. And if you would take this message, you'd be writing notes. That's what discipleship is. You want to learn, so you write things down. You think about it, you meditate on it, and you grow in that direction. And then you come back tonight and you get some more. Tonight, folks, I can't tell you how blessed I am to teach a series on dealing with anger. And I'm going to be teaching the second uh, sermon on that series. And it's powerful stuff. The same principles apply to all kinds of areas, but we're going to deal with anger specifically on Sunday nights. On Wednesday nights, <coughs> we're teaching in the book of Daniel. Daniel is an exciting book. It's, it's just taken on a whole life of its own as we've been teaching through that in Daniel on Wednesday nights. And we're getting into chapter 7 this week. Can I tell you, if you would give yourself this week to learn Philippians 4, to learn some things about anger, to learn some things about Daniel, you'd have a lot to chew on all week long. So when people come to me and they say, do you have a program? I say, I do have a program. (laughs) This is the program. (laughs) This is how God designed discipleship to work. As people are saved, baptized, they come and they come to learn. I mean, they come to fellowship. I mean, it's good to have fellowship. We need that. That's a part of it. But also a big part of it is to learn the Word of God and to take that seriously. And that's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we do these things. That's why we need workers to do these things. We need ushers. We need teachers. We need musicians. Uh, We need people that will go out and do door hangers. Not everybody can, but some can. We should. That's called laboring together. We all have different places, different avenues of service. You know, at the beginning of the service, this got set up somehow. Some people came and actually plugged the wires in, put all the hymnals out on the chairs, straightened out all the rows nicely, made sure we had enough chairs. That's all because of laborers. And do you understand if a person gets saved, that the person that puts the hymn book down is just as, just as blessed as the one that actually did the soul winning? <laughs> we're all a part of it. It's laboring together. And so in this passage, we're seeing two major things that, are, that have jumped out to me. And the first one is that in order to labor, you've got to have the same mind. And the same mind is a lot of things. It's not a simple thing to explain. And that's why I got to preach on it, you know. But it's really the the word mind is a sentiment or opinion. It's a mindset, a mindset. So there's things that contribute to our mindset here in this church. And so I understand that people come from different churches. They say, well, this was our mindset. But then I have to tell them, well, that's that church. Now, if you're coming here... You have to have our mindset, amen, because we're looking for unity of mind. Of course, that begins with doctrine, with the Word of God. It begins with what we believe about Christ and all those fundamental things. I tell people that Christian life and learning is like putting a puzzle together. And the puzzle, what you usually do in the beginning is you get all the the outward pieces together first. Anytime I've ever seen anybody do a puzzle, the first thing I see is this ring of puzzles and it's empty in the middle. Is that how you do it? Yeah. See, that's your fundamental doctrines. That's your doctrinal things. That's your doctrine of Christ and God and the scriptures and which Bible you use and all those different things. But then what happens is, as you're being discipled, you're going to be putting pieces together. And you're going to start fitting pieces, but it's not going to be connected yet to the outside. (laughs) So many times I don't do puzzles, so I watch my wife and my family. And they'll have a puzzle, but then in the middle of it, they'll have a loose piece. And it's got a whole bunch of pieces in it, but it's not connected anywhere. (laughs) And that's the way it is. You know, Sometimes in your Bible reading, um, your devotion time, during the preaching of the Word of God, all of a sudden, the Lord will speak to your heart and show you something from the Scripture. And all of a sudden, that piece that was floating also attaches itself to the outer ring. You say, oh man, now I know how this fits. <laughs> and then you have other floating pieces that you begin to connect together. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is when that puzzle is done, what do you think that puzzle is? What do you think the picture is? Well, it's Christ. It's all Christ. (laughs) He's everything. See, he gave us, you know, when you puzzle together, usually on the cover of the box, it gives you what the finished picture is supposed to look like. And he gave us that here. (laughs) And we have to put them together personally for each one of our lives and connect them. See, that's what a part of the local church's job is. To help give you the pieces, help establish those pieces in the right place, so that you yourself can become a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And that takes a lot of people. I can't do this alone. Amen. I was telling my men, we were having a meeting the other day, and I just said, guys, I can't do this alone anymore. Number one, I'm getting too old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, I need, I need to share my burdens a little bit. And you know what? They were okay with that. I says, you know, put some on us. And I said, wow, guys. And you know, it brought tears to my eyes because as a pastor, many times you have to carry it all yourself. People to, to understand that pressure, that burden. And sometimes it just gets to the point where you just can't do it yourself anymore. <laughs> That's why we brought Paul and Allie here so that they could help carry that load for us. It's not just to have friends here so we can hang out, (laughs) amen. It's about laboring. It's about doing the work. So there's two thoughts having the same mind. And then another thought I saw there was, he's talking about true yoke fellows, yoke fellows. And I thought about the yoke, (laughs) you know, and we'll talk about that next week. But the yoke, is basically what they'll put on cattle, on oxen, to pull the plow. And that's why even the scriptures, it was an abomination to put an ox in with a donkey. God says, don't you do that. That's an abomination to me. He was teaching us a principle. He's saying, if you want to pull the plow straight, you got to have the same mindset. You got to have the same heart. You got the same strength You have the same doctrine, amen? But if you get a donkey in there, it's gonna be pulling itself all over the place. And that's why we can't be unequally yoked, the Bible talks about. To the Lord, that's an abomination. And so we'll talk about that next week. But this week, what I wanna talk about is this aspect of being like-minded, like-minded. Now, the Bible tells us... (coughs) In Ephesians 4, verse number 15, it talks about like-mindedness here, and it talks about it as being progressive. So, like I said before, if you come to this church, and you say, well, I don't know if I understand everything that you guys are about. When you get to the place where you feel comfortable with the doctrines we have, and say, you know what, I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to grow into it, that's all you can ask for. (laughs) Because nobody, when they start in the church, have it all figured out. But that's why we have a goal. That's why we have a focus, a statement of faith to guide us as we go forward. If we didn't have a statement of faith, then we'd all be aiming in different directions. Well, this is where I came from. This is what they taught. Well, they taught this where I come from. Well, to each his own. (laughs) You know, what you really have is a plow (laughs) that is plowing the field very wavy like that. We're looking for straight rows. And so we have to have the same mind, same mind. Um, In Ephesians 4 verse 15, it says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head of, even Christ. And so the first point I want you to understand here is like-mindedness requires the truth of Christ. The truth of Christ. And I know last week we talked about doctrine. I want to give you a couple of uh, general principles here that not what we talked about last week, but something else in relation to the church. And the first point is this, that the local church is the pillar of, and ground of the truth. That's what we're called in the scripture. See, there's no other place on this planet that is called that. There's no other organization. There's nothing that God has looked down at and said, you are the pillar and ground of the truth, except for his local church. And so it says in 1 Timothy 3.15, it says, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So because it's the pillar and ground of the truth, there's a certain way that the Lord is expecting us to behave ourselves. There's a behavior for the church, amen? Do we agree with that? You can't just do what you want. When you start living the way you want, and it doesn't fit what the local church stands for, you have to change. You have to change your life. You have to become what, what would bring honor and glory to the Lord, as the song was sung. Pillar is the church lifts up the truth and endures its weight to lift it up to the world. So that's what a pillar is. A pillar would hold up the ceiling, a lot of weight would be set on that. And <clears throat> Folks, I can tell you this. Doctrine and truth has weight to it. <laughs> it's something that requires you to stand up and stand firm, stand fast. You can't just meander through the Christian life expecting that you're going to become a pillar for the truth. Because to be a pillar for the truth, you're going to have to take some things on your shoulders, take some responsibility you can't always maneuver through life finding the easy way you know sometimes you just got to do what you need to do and do the right thing because there is a way that we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God amen the pillar and then the ground the church is that stable platform that the truth reveals itself to the world folks The government isn't the ground of truth. There is no other place on this earth that is the ground of truth. We are supposed to give to this world a picture of stability upon the truth of God's word. And you know what? More and more we're seeing that churches are making it less about truth and more about fellowship, more about having fun, more about entertainment, (laughs) but that's not what the church is. The church is a stable platform for the Lord to lay his truth so that the whole world can see it. And we have to maintain that as a local church. That's why you have to deal with problems. You have to deal with error. That's why you don't let everybody join the church. (laughs) I've had people that believed false doctrine. They love coming to church but they wouldn't change. They had their heels dug in. (laughs) I said, you know, you're welcome to attend. We love you here, but you can't be a member because we have to have the same mind. It's so important. I know you may say, think that's mean because it's all about just accepting. No, it's not. It's about the truth and it's about the Lord. (laughs) And it's about plowing a straight row. That's what this church is about. We need to get that done. And you know what I find many churches today, what they're doing is they're they're putting themselves in a situation where things are being pulled every which way that they can't even do the work of God anymore. There's too much dissension and too many uh, erroneous doctrines circling about within the membership. It can't happen. It can't happen. We've got to have the same mind. The local church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The second point is the truth brings liberty to the soul. I love this passage in John 8, verse 31. And anybody that does any counseling, anybody that knows anything about helping people knows this verse is so important. These couple of verses. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So you can't be a disciple unless you continue to grow according to the word of God. If you're going to go against this book, you've forfeited your discipleship. Then it goes on to say, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, that means take the chains off. can't tell you how many people come and they've got addictions, drugs, alcohol. (laughs) They've got pornography issues. They've got all kinds of issues, even some immorality issues. What do you do with them? Oh, you can't come to church. (laughs) Folks, this is the hospital. (laughs) This is where sin sick people come. And if they want to get help, this is where they can get it. But if they don't want it, you can't hold your sin here and hold it close to your heart when you come into the door you got to take your sin and say preacher can you help me get rid of this (laughs) and if you're not willing then the sin has to go sooner or later it's going to be dispensed in the garbage of the hospital amen and if you're not willing to let it go you have to leave you have to leave because you can't allow sin to infect the church amen But there's always an opportunity for you to be freed from your sin when anybody comes in this church. And that's why I think sometimes preachers get a bad rap sometimes because when they deal with someone that has dug their heels in and will not repent of their sin, somehow we become people that are are unloving. It's not true. If I could write for you a list of things I've had to deal with and help people through in this church from heinous and ungodly sins to freedom, you would know that what I'm saying is true. I've never stood back from helping someone deep in sin. I would give them all of my time and energy, but folks, when you love your sin, you can't stay. You can't. But if you say, Preacher, <laughs> I hate this thing. I want it out of my life. And you're willing to take the steps to deal with it. There's always a place for you in the house of God. Because then the sin becomes separate. And the Apostle Paul said that. He said, It's no longer me, but the sin that is within me. He separated it. But when you allow that sin to become a part of your identity, that's when you begin to infect others around you with it. You see, folks, it's so important we understand that. The preachers ought to be the most uh, patient and loving people when people are in sin, because we understand. We've seen it a lot. (laughs) But folks, we also have to be the ones when people don't want to deal with it, so you can't continue infecting people with your poison. You understand that. And it's not because we hate them. (laughs) In fact, I'm going to tell you something. This may trip you up. I probably love them more than you. Because I'm the one that's willing to say it. And you're not. Because you want them to love you more than you love them. Because you don't want them to hate you for taking a stand for the truth. As a preacher, we have to do that. As a Christian, you have to do that, amen? In this church, you have to do that with your children even. There's a time when your children, if they don't want to do right, you've got to do the right thing. You've got to do the right thing. Truth brings liberty to the soul. And as long as a person is willing to give themselves to the truth and, and listen to the truth and allow to be taught the truth, they will become free. It doesn't matter what sin they're dealing with. It doesn't matter how deep it is. It doesn't matter how long they've been addicted to it. They will find freedom. That's a promise of God. But they have to continue in the word, continue in the scripture. Our love for others reveals that we are of the truth. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. That means when we're, we're willing to do the right thing, and to say the right thing that proves that you are in the truth. And your heart can be assured. Amen. There's people that say to us, oh yeah, I'm in the truth. But when the opportunity comes for them to stand, they don't. And that shows you they're not in the truth. Amen. And so we need to be in the truth. <laughs> That's a part of the like-mindedness of this assembly. We have to understand that we have to do, not just talk about it. And loving people is not easy. It cost Jesus his life. (laughs) He had to suffer horribly because he loved people. The father had to give his son to be tortured because he loved people. Loving people hurts. And loving people will cost you something. But if you do the truth, you're going to do that for people in word and in deed. I want to live my life for Christ, not just so I can get a crown, but so I can help these boys here and these little girls and and some of the people in this church. So they can look at me and say, you know what? It works to follow God. It works to do the truth. I want to be an example of that. And sure, there's times they'll say, wow, that cost them a lot. I don't know if I want to do that. But I'm not, I'm not here mincing words with people. I'm not telling you that if you follow Christ, it's just going to be easy, easy, easy. But I'll tell you this, this is as hard as it's ever going to get. Because when you see Christ, then you got it easy for eternity. You know, there's people down here, they think they got it easy. This is as easy as it gets for them when they meet God, that's when the hard comes for eternity. So you have to be willing to endure the hard now so they can have the easy later because you will have it easy later. Amen. That's our calling. We're called to suffer for him. The Bible says in Proverbs ten twelve, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. That means when people hate people, then it stirs up problems and stirs up relationship issues. But the Bible says, if you love people, you're going to protect them. And there is no strife. Amen? In Proverbs 17, verse nine, it says, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. That's called gossip, talebearing. And I'll tell you something, usually talebearers, when you listen to it, you probably never confirm what they say and you find yourself already believing it by hearing one side of the story. It's a devilish thing. It's a devilish thing. I've heard some things go around about me and my family. You know, the thing is, I've not had one person come to ask me anything yet they're spreading things around. All I know is you don't love us. That's all I know. <laughs> if you would, you'd be careful. You understand that? See, even here in the church, when somebody does wrong, <laughs> I don't go run around and tell people about it. You cover it because you want to help them. See, folks, if you really care about people, and let's say someone did do wrong, what you want to do is go to that person to try to protect them, help them to do right, and keep that knowledge as small as possible. But if you're spreading things around like that, if that were true, even if it was true, you're still sinning, still sinning. But if it's not true, my goodness, Imagine meeting the Lord on that. You got to be careful what you talk about, amen? What you listen to. The Bible says, if you love people, you're going to help protect them. And if you find people that are stirring up strife through hatred, they're not right with another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. That, my friend, is a core belief for Christianity. What we want to do, we're not looking to just, oh, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? (laughs) What we're trying to do is make an easy road for people to do right. That's what this is about. Make an easy road for people to do the right thing and not throw stumbling blocks in front of them. That, my friend, is sin, according to the Lord. So our love... For others reveal that we are of the truth. So how do we fit? How do we, where are we right now? Are we of the truth? Are we caring about people? Are we protecting people? Or are we being used as some kind of a tailbearer? The Bible says a tail bearer bringeth wounds to the innermost part of the belly. That means tailbearing will actually hurt you physically. It's going to start playing on your health. You're gossiping. It's crazy. (laughs) Because when you sin, your three parts spirit, soul, and body all three of these are being defiled when you have a part of sin. Amen? Like mindedness not only requires the truth of Christ, like mindedness requires the leadership of Christ. In John 15, verse 16, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. He says, I've chosen you. I chose you for a purpose that you can bring forth fruit, that you can glorify my Father in heaven. See, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The head. Now, where's the mind? (laughs) The mind is in the head. Amen? Your mind is right up here. If Jesus Christ is the head, then it's his mind that we ought to be having here. Not my mind, not your mind, but Christ's mind. Amen? In Ephesians 1 verse 20, it says, Which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, that filleth all and all. We must have an understanding as we seek to join together with the local church that we're seeking to follow Christ's leadership, his leadership. There must be a submission. There must be a submission to the church's theology. There must be a submission to the church's methodology. There must be a submission to the church's philosophy of ministry. All of these things come from the head down into the church. How we treat people, we look at how Christ treated people. What we teach people, we look at what Christ taught people. Amen? How we reach people is how we saw Christ reaching people. The methodology and everything. So when we join together to have the same mind, theology, methodology, philosophy of ministry, that all has to come into unity. You can't have your own philosophy of ministry. You've got to join with what God's doing here. What the Lord has built here. Letter B, like-mindedness like apart, apart from Christ's mind is worthless. I thought this was interesting. In Romans one twenty-eight, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now he's talking about lost people. He's talking about heathens. He's saying because they did not want to retain God in their mind, in their knowledge, that the Lord gave them over to reprobate mind. And the word reprobate means unworthy or worthless, a worthless mind. So think about this. If you want to have a mind that is profitable, that bears forth forth fruit, it has to be a mind that is infiltrated with Christ's mind. Your mind has to be fixed on his mind. You have to be thinking the way he thinks. Your mind does not produce anything fruitful. (laughs) These people, when they didn't want God, you hear today, they want evolution. Why do they want evolution? Because if it's not evolution, then we have to believe that there's a God. And they don't want God in their knowledge. <laughs> they reject God in their knowledge. You can see it throughout the news today. Everything they're talking about, climate change, all these things are about a life apart from God. Folks, they're telling you the world's going to end in 12 years. Now it's 10, right? Countdown. <laughs> because of <the> climate change. <laughs> You know, the scriptures tell me clearly that we have at least 1,007 days left from today. And then tomorrow, we're guaranteed another 1,007 years. There's the last week of Daniel, seven years, and then a thousand year millennial reign. Where's climate change? At the end of that thousand years, The Bible says the Lord will melt this earth with a fervent heat. And that is a global warming, I believe. That's a true global warming. It is. But it's not going to happen until then. Unless the Lord brings it during the tribulation, he's going to make the sun burn people's skin. But that's going to be his will, not because you drive a Chevy. Amen? Amen. Give me them gas guzzlers. (laughs) Reprobate. So basically I just learned from this that if we don't want to have God in our mind, we become worthless and unfruitful. If we're not going to spend time in the word of God, our mind will become worthless and unfruitful. And so many things will infiltrate our thinking that God has not influenced And so it's important. And just because everybody believes it, you can get your whole group of friends together, they're all in agreement. (laughs) Doesn't mean they're right. The people had the same mind to build Babel. But it was a wrong mind. The 10 spies had the same mind. But that was a wrong mind. The 10 kings of the world had the same mind to give power to the Antichrist but it was a wrong mind. You have a bunch of friends joining in what you like to do, what you think is right. It doesn't mean it's a right mind. You can have all your friends agree with you. It does not make it the right mind. What makes it the right mind is if it lines up with Christ's mind. Amen? Amen? And that's the mind we want in the church. Number three, like-mindedness requires the judgment of Christ. It says here in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What that means is, If you're not saved, your spirit is dead. And because your spirit is dead, it's not connected to God. And because your spirit's not connected to God, you have no influence from God into your soul. You have no influence. You can't understand. It's what's called a natural man. There's a natural man which doesn't have God in them. There's a spiritual man that has God speaking to their spirit Guiding them through the word of God, but then you have a saved person that could be a carnal man, and that is somebody who has Christ in them, but will not allow Christ to live and work through them. That's carnality. There's three states of man natural, spiritual, or carnal. And everyone in this room is one of these three. (laughs) And we need to determine where we are. If we're natural, then we need to be saved because our spirit needs to have the life of God placed in it. The Bible says that we're alienated from the life that is in God without Christ. But if you trust Christ, that sin that was in the way of his life and your spirit has been removed because he's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And now he can easily come in through the blood of Christ and put his life inside your spirit. And that's what we call regeneration, being born again. (laughs) Now, if you're a good Christian, when you're regenerated, you allow the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God to control you as you read the word of God, and you'll begin to submit your mind to him and let him change you. (laughs) That's a spiritual man spiritual man isn't perfect. A spiritual man is in a progressive state of change. Amen. Moving towards becoming like Christ. A carnal man is rather listening to the pressures of the world, the needs around them. And Satan's in charge of that because we know he's the prince of the power of the air. And this whole world is his world. And he's putting pressure on your outside to get you to have a mind that opposes the spirit in your life. So he's trying to get you to make your decisions after pressure, not after principle. (laughs) So a pressured Christian is a carnal Christian. A principled Christian is a spiritual Christian. Amen? So no matter what I feel like, I'm going to do what the Bible says, even if I'm scared. (laughs) I'm gonna do it. Even if I lose my friends, I'm gonna do it. Because I trust Him. And the Lord will change your heart and renew your mind. And you become more and more like Christ as the days go by. Amen. That's a spiritual man. But a carnal man is always fearful. A carnal man is always thinking about the belly. (laughs) What I want, what I desire. My ambitions, my dreams, money, career, job, all these things, they consume me. And if they do, you're a carnal Christian. And the problem is, when carnal Christians come into a body that is supposed to be primarily spiritual, divisions take place. He even said, Are you not carnal? Is there not envying, strife, and divisions among you? See, it's because you got two mindsets. You've got one, one mindset thinking, this is what I want. But then you've got another mindset, the spiritual one that's being preached over the pulpit, over and over. And you know what? You know when you're not spiritual when you're getting mad at the preacher all the time. You know you're spiritual when you're saying amen to the preacher all the time. When these principles are true and you're saying, yes, that hurts, that costs me, but yes, that's the truth, amen. That's how God's people ought to be. The spiritual ones, but the carnal ones are always looking out of the corner of their eye. If God would come right now and take you up, I guarantee you, you wouldn't look at him that way. that proud look you have, that attitude, nobody's going to tell me what to do. When you put your eyes upon him, your eyes will hit the floor and you'll fall down as one that is dead. Those of you that think you're going to tell God what this is all about, your tongue will freeze solid and you will bow your knee then you know what he'll say? You should have done this to me half an hour before I came. Why did you wait till it wasn't faith anymore? Now it's no longer faith. So even you bowing before me doesn't please me. You know what pleases him? By faith. For without faith... It is impossible to please him. That means today as a believer, you bow your knee and your heart to God like he was standing right in front of you. That's a faithful man. Life according to scripture, like the Lord Jesus Christ is walking right beside you. You go to the places that you stay away from where Jesus doesn't want you to go, amen? Jesus doesn't want you to say because he's standing right beside you. And you know it. But because you don't believe, We say the wrong things anyways. To penetrate our heart and allow him out. Instead, we're letting the devil work from the outside in. They weren't doing the right thing and they said they were right with God. (laughs) Oh, how great is that darkness. You know, if I'm not right with God, I at least want to be honest about it that I'm not right with God. I talked to them. I knew they got saved. And I said, you know you know, brother, you shouldn't be doing this. He says, I know. And they're crying this. I know I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm, and I'm broken and I don't know what to do. And I try to point him in the right way. I got more respect for that man than a person that comes to church every week thinking they're right with God and they're not doing right. Because at least there you got a starting point. But the Bible says we forget what manner of man we are because we don't take a look into the mirror of the Word of God. It takes judgment. For he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. A spiritual man, one that's being influenced in his spirit, through his soul outward, is a person that looks at everything in his life and places judgment on it, whether it's according to the scripture or not. Proving what is acceptable, the Bible says, unto the Lord. But no, no, we've developed new doctrine today because we don't judge. No judgment here. You're a fool and you're carnal. I'm not saying judging people, that's his business. And you know what? He's already judged in your case. You can tell by your actions. You can go to his scripture and you can find out what he's gonna do. That's what the fear of the Lord is about. (laughs) But what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to judge all things. We're supposed to judge where we're going, who we're hanging with. We're supposed to judge the words that we say. We're supposed to judge the influences that we have in our life. We're supposed to judge all those things. And a spiritual man will, but a carnal man won't. And the carnal man will just say, legalism. (laughs) And the spiritual man will say, freedom, freedom. The Bible says there is strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. How can you have confidence in fear? (laughs) Well, when you fear the Lord, see, you're not worrying about what you don't know you're being concerned about what you do know. So if you fear God, all you're doing is saying, Lord, I know what you've said, so I know your boundaries. (laughs) So when you fear God, you know exactly where the boundaries are. And I can't tell you, when you know where the boundaries are, it brings you great confidence. I can walk a foot away from the boundary and not have to worry about it because I know the boundaries on that side. I don't have to always worry, oh, am I doing right, am I doing wrong? (laughs) I can know what I'm doing right. I can know what I'm doing wrong. (laughs) Because I judge. And our families need that strength. They need that confidence. They need to know whether their home is uh, a home living after Christ or not. Dad, is this okay what we're doing here? Well, don't worry about it. Well, that doesn't bring confidence at all. Thus saith the Lord. That brings confidence. That brings boundaries, amen? Judgment is important. Churches are being destroyed by a lack of spiritual judgment today. 1 Corinthians 1.10, it says, Now I beseech your brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Think about that. Not only am I supposed to judge things, but I'm supposed to have the same judgment that you have. That means a local church, we ought to be judging things the same way because we're following the same mind. Amen? But today that's not happening. The Bible says... But there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. That means for a lack of judgment, there's destruction happening. Homes are being destroyed. Churches are being destroyed because people aren't willing to judge things. Amen. And I know we're out of time here. Let me just give you my last point. We'll be done. Like-mindedness requires the temperament of Christ. The Temperament. Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You know what it's like to live not being concerned about your reputation? It's you not running around trying to defend yourself over everything. <laughs> Because you're far more concerned, not about the reputation, but about the character. See, if you know that your character is right, you don't have to worry about the reputation. It'll take care of itself. Jesus said, I'm not coming to earth to tell you about my reputation. I'm coming to earth to show you who I am. And my reputation will take care of itself. And then people will lie. They'll say things about you. They'll make make up things about you. You're not going to get bent out of shape at all because your reputation is never something that you fought for. All you're concerned about is being truthful. All you're concerned about is doing the right thing. Amen. Don't worry about what they all say. You could run around your whole life putting out all those fires. And that's what the devil wants me to do many times. As a pastor, he wants me to run around putting all the fires out when I hear things. You know what I do? I say, hey, this is the way I think about it. If you give your enemies evidence, they won't believe you, anyways. And your friends don't need it. (laughs) Do you understand that? I here and try to defend myself. If you've got yourself bent out of shape against me or someone in the church, there's nothing they're going to say that's going to change your mind. <laughs> if you decide to get bent out of shape without hearing the evidence in the first place, it doesn't matter what kind of evidence you're going to get, you're still going to be bent out of shape. But if you're a friend, you'll know the character. Amen? <laughs> You'll know the character. You'll be running around looking for dirt. You'll be looking for the truth, the substance. You'll look at the substance. Folks, the best thing you can do is all the stuff you hear going around, throw it in the garbage can and judge righteous judgment. Because people are being very foolish in the day and age in which we live. But that's why, you know, so I don't get, I, I try not to get bent out of shape. I go through the thought sometimes, maybe I ought to do this, maybe I got to do that. <laughs> I could do that all week long. <laughs> and every time I try to prove myself right, someone will just grab something else that's wrong. Or I could just keep going, doing the right thing, keep preaching. And you know what? And let God do the thinning. Let God do the pruning. Let God do the fixing. And that's what I choose to do because we got far too many things to do to be putting out fires all week long. Amen? Anyways, humble yourself. The world has taught us that becoming boss means we are accountable to no one. Christ teaches us that becoming boss means we are accountable to everyone. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul said, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. So the one on top isn't the one saying, I'm gonna tell you what to do. The one on top, the one that is the boss says, I'm gonna become your servant. And that's why Jesus washed his disciples' feet that day. The next one is the world teaches us that the greatest is the master. Christ teaches us, that the greatest is a servant. In Matthew twenty-three ten, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You know what? If we would believe this, there'd be no envy in the church. Nobody would be wanting to get that position. Or why don't you give me credit? <laughs> we'd have a whole bunch of people scrambling to do stuff for other people. Wouldn't that make a great church? (laughs) The world teaches us that we must strive to be independent in our lives. Christ teaches us to strive for dependence upon the Lord for everything. (laughs) You know, you are working, when you were lost and you got saved, you lived independently of God. From that point on, the Lord has been trying to teach you how to take that independence and discard it and to become totally dependent upon the Lord in your life. Totally. Everything. See, the reason why you can't overcome that sin in your life is because you're too independent. The reason why that sin happens over and over and over again because you think you've got to have the strength to overcome it. You can't. It's impossible. Without Christ, it's impossible. You want to know the person that's going to defeat the sin in their life? The person that completely yields themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Completely. Hey, how far did you have to go to get saved? How far did you have to turn to Christ with your life? Did you just lay it all on the altar and the Lord, I'm trusting you for all of my salvation. Is that what you did? (laughs) The Bible says, as ye have received him, so walk ye in him. We we depend on him for salvation, (laughs) but you don't depend on him for your freedom. You don't depend on him to get rid of that sin in your life. Because somehow we're reading these self-help books. There is no help in self. At all. You want to overcome your anger problem? You get on your knees before God and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of this. I can't do it anymore. From now on, I'm trusting you to do this. And this is going to be all on you, Lord. You're going to do this for me. And I submit myself to you. You want a person that is going to defeat sin in life, that's what they're gonna have to do. It's none of this taking the pulling your boots by the bootstraps and taking care of business. You can do nothing. Nothing. When I quit smoking, I tried quitting because of health. I tried quitting. Because of money, because it was stupidly expensive, and people are saying, "Why in the world are you spending like a mortgage payment on smoking cigarettes every month?" I tried, I couldn't. Finally, I had recently got saved. Finally, I got to the end of myself. I just wept. This is God. I hate this so much. I want this out of my life, God. And I'm tired that I can't have fellowship with you because of this dirty, rotten, stinking sin in my life. Because that's what it is. You're keeping yourself from the very one that loves you. The one that gave everything for you because you can't let go of your sin. You're harboring bitterness. You're not even talking to God. You've got no fellowship with him. Forgive! Let it go. Let it go. Oh no, this person did me wrong. That person did you wrong, but you're torturing yourself by keeping yourself away from God every day of your life. You are responsible for that. Amen? It's time that we understand wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and I shall receive you and I will be a father unto you and you shall be unto me as my, as my sons and daughters. You gotta want that more than anything. If you don't care about your fellowship with God, you're never gonna do anything for God. Never. You've got to want God more than anything. You've got to say, Lord, <laughs> this sin, this attitude, this bitterness, this anger, whatever it is, is keeping me from you. I can't even pray and have my prayers heard. I cannot get blessed of God. I've got no power to win my children the Bible because I'm not right with God. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of not having the Lord in my life. I'm sick of the separation. I'm tired of it. Life. Oh, he's just waiting. He's just waiting. He's waiting for you to get to the point where you say, I cannot do this. There's nothing in me. Nothing. And he's wanting you just to come with that humble heart. Lord, I want to come back to you. That's how the prodigal came back to the father. And the father was standing, with arms outstretched. Humble yourself. Humble means, Lord, I've got nothing. When you got saved, you said, Lord, there's nothing in my hands for, you to, for me to give you in exchange for my soul. He says, that's okay because my son did it all. And he received you. When you're dealing with sin and problems, you do the same thing. Lord, there's nothing in my hands that I can do for you except confess this is wrong. He says, son, that's why my son died for you. And he'll receive you. Amen? Aren't you tired of that sin? Aren't you tired of that separation? (laughs) It's going to go away when you're willing to bow your knee, bow your heart before God. Then you'll have...